Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Hello everyone, I hope that you had a lovely weekend and that your week is getting off to a good start. Thank you so much for your lovely support for last week's episode. I'm so glad that you're happy that the podcast is back and excited for the season ahead. I certainly am too. This episode is coming to you from sunny Spain, from Andalusia. Uh, All being well, I am recording this just before we fly off, so I'll let you know how we get on next week. Today's guest, this is an episode that I so enjoyed. I found it just such an interesting conversation. Singer, songwriter Katie Melua. Many of you will know her from her chart-topping hits like Nine Million Bicycles and The Closest Thing to Crazy. Over the last 20 years, her soulful, beautiful voice has captivated audiences all over the world, selling over 11 million albums worldwide, making her one of the most successful British female artists of all time. Katie was born in Georgia, a country found at the crossroads of Western Asia and Eastern Europe, which was then part of the Soviet Union. And it's a huge feature of her travel diaries today. If it's a place that has maybe been on your travel radar, you'll get some great tips for a future trip. Katie gives us insight into the country all over. She spent her early childhood living there before moving to the UK when she was about eight years old. And her passion for music led her to enrol at the famous Brit School alongside alumni like Adele and Amy Winehouse. And she was quickly discovered by the songwriter and producer Mike Batt and rocketed to stardom soon after. You could say the rest was history. Her success has, of course, meant that she has travelled much of the world several times over. And she shares with us some of the most extraordinary destinations that she's put on shows, including the deepest concert ever held, a Guinness record-breaking concert 303 meters below sea level in a Norwegian fjord as you do so sit back relax and join us on this journey as we explore the life and travels of Katie Melua and her travel diaries Katie Melua, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. It's amazing to see you today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I've been uh, thinking about what to say because it's such a, you know, it's such a joy to sort of look back at, you know, everywhere I've been and, and all my favorite places. Yeah, to reflect on such a, a career that's involved so much travel as part of it. It's been such a key Oh, yes, there's been so much. Um, I mean, I I pretty much from the age of 18, when I recorded my first record, and the songs I recorded, they kind of changed my life. And that meant traveling an awful lot. Mm. But also even before that, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, if I can use the word an immigrant kid, because my family moved over to the UK when I was eight years old from Georgia. Mm. Uh, so yeah, travel and, you know, being in different countries and experiencing different cultures is a huge part of of who I am and my experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to ask you all about Georgia in a moment, but first I just wanted to say congratulations, or in order, you've got a baby, baby boy? I do, yes. Thank you yeah. so much. Um, yeah, I became mum last November and uh, it's just been remarkable, uh, better than what I expected. I mean, I knew it was going to be in- possibly quite incredible, but it has been just astonishing. Yeah. I became a mum in October. For the first time. Oh, no way. Your first time too. Oh, amazing. Yeah, hey. <laughs> yeah. Have you traveled with him yet? Only down to Devon mm-hmm. in a three and a half hour car journey. But we are planning to go to Australia next winter for a, a wow. very close friend's wedding. Oh, uh, that's So exciting. that's going to be interesting. So you're going to be building up to that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, we, we're going to have a huge traveling mission because... I'm going on the road. Um, you know, I've got gigs. I've got quite an extensive European tour. Yeah. And because we're in the first year of his life, my partner qualifies for shed parental leave. So that means 
he can come with me. So he's he's going to be touring with, you know, both my son and my partner are going to be touring. Um, so we're going to go from Poland, quite a few cities in Poland, a lot of cities in Germany. We're going to Amsterdam and Paris and then quite a few cities around the UK. Amazing. So he's going to be so well traveled by the time he hits his first birthday. Love that. Exactly. I love that he's coming along on the road. You know, why not? I know. I, I mean, I think until it, he hits school age, we have yeah. to make the most of it. Absolutely. And what about you? Have you traveled with your little one? We've done a couple of British trips as well. So we went okay. to um, Somerset and we went to the Cotswolds with differing levels of success. I would say I'm discovering, you know, as each time we go away, you know, as we experience each different thing, like the necessity for what we need to bring, yeah, you know, yeah. having the space and a different room to put them in. But we've got our first flight actually in a few weeks going to oh, wow. going to Spain you know okay get some nice warm sun so we'll see how that goes and oh, well, I'll be sharing on the with pod it. yeah yes, sharing how it's must. all going <laughs> because I think that for for new mums it, it's like a, it is tra family travel is just a whole new um, yeah, it is toolkit absolutely I mean and to be honest um you know we'll we'll be doing Georgia also because my family are there and I'd like to um you know, go back there for a christening for Sandro. Um, Lovely. So, you know, that'll include two flights. But the tour that I've got coming up, I was actually talking to my tour manager. I mean, you know, you're lucky enough as a musician to have a tour manager. But we went through the list of all the things we need to sort of get and organized. And it's really intense. There's a yeah. lot. And I came off that phone call thinking, oh, my God, all the things I thought I was ready for just before he was born. You kind of have to do it all over again in terms of buying the yeah. right type of crib we're doing this crazy thing which I'm very proud of we're doing non-disposable nappies so that means you have to think oh about God, the washing you. facilities <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean it's intense but it's not too bad but you know now that we're going on the road it's like okay washing machines dryers yeah what kind of detergent all of that needs to be thought about <laughs> yeah yeah and then he'll start eating solids and then that's a whole other new thing isn't exactly it? Yeah. yes <laughs> oh well um speaking of Georgia we are going to go on um a journey through the seven chapters of your travel diaries today Katie um and chapter one is your earliest childhood travel memory was that Georgia related yeah of yeah. course I mean I lived there till I was eight nine years old yeah um and I remember I mean, basically most Georgians, and we were no exception, in the summertime would spend about a month by the sea in the Black Sea. Oh, um, lovely. A town called Batumi, which is this, was a gorgeous little town on the Black Sea coast. And me, my mum and dad, uh, and my grandparents, we'd pack the car into Pilisi, uh, which was back then about a good eight-hour drive to Batumi, and would basically go along, you know, these country lanes because I mean I think there was one motorway but once you hit the coastal area um, there were these huge mountains so Batumi is incredibly unique because you've got the ocean or, or the Black Sea and then you've got the mountains very close to it oh, so in order wow. to get to Batumi you have to sort of pass through these very sort of high mountains and and it can be it can be quite treacherous because the you know the roads are sort of quite steep jaw like so inspiring jaw droppingly inspiring but yeah I remember as a kid just loving that adventure of having that you know very long drive out to the seaside and then once we got to Batumi it would mean swimming in the sea twice a day we'd all get up very early morning go to the beach uh, eat some corn on the cob which is what was sold by the local sort of ladies that would pass the beach mm -hmm. Then we might go and have an Ajaruli Khachapuri, which is this beautiful, like very soft, cheesy bread, which is very Ooh. popular amongst not just Georgians, but anyone who gets to visit Georgia. Yeah. Um, and then we'd go home, have a nap, uh, and then repeat the whole thing again around four o'clock just before sunset. Oh, sounds like my ideal holiday now. Yeah. <laughs> it was so lovely. And then my other early sort of travel memories were... Um, and this is, you know, this is kind of vague, but I do remember it. And I think this is one of the reasons why I love flying. Um, my dad uh, worked, I mean, he, yeah, he was studying at a university in Moscow. Mm -hmm. And so my mom and me would visit him. So I remember f like being on planes and flying to Moscow. And I have very vague memories of Moscow. I mean, there are, you know, family pictures of me and mom in Red Square. Um, and so I, you know, I kind of vaguely remember that as well. And how was that? 
you know, living in, in Georgia, obviously former USSR times, like how was it then traveling into to Moscow and what did that feel like? So that would have been, I mean, this was really early on. So it would have been kind of early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I think it was as normal as traveling in your own country because Georgia was essentially part of the USSR. Then, of course, everything changed when the Soviet Union broke down. And then I think that's when we started traveling predominantly in Georgia. Right, right. Um, but I have to say, despite that, you know, Georgia itself is an astonishing place place to visit. Well, I was going to say, I mean, um, in terms of destinations that's come up on the podcast, it's really come up a lot with my guests as destination at the top of their bucket list. Oh, or fantastic. Next, next destination they're planning to travel to. It's really got, it's a burgeoning tourist destination, especially Tbilisi, isn't it? It is. And actually, it's not that far. I mean, if you think about it, Georgia borders Turkey, um, Armenia and Azerbaijan. So it's just on the other side of Turkey. So yeah. it, it's not that difficult to get to. And of course, the mountains, if you count Georgia as part of Europe, are the tallest in Europe. Mm. But of course, you know, Georgia isn't always counted as part of because it's sort of it's right in that crossroads of East meets West. Mm. The food Which is, is exciting in itself. Yeah, it's it's super interesting because yet yeah, you do have these amazing influences from both sort of the European world. So you have buildings that might resemble Italy or France, you know, buildings that might resemble Parisian buildings. And then you have these kind of Asian influences as well. Mm. Um, and it's, it is quite a sort of melting pot of interesting cultures. And also now, um, of course, before COVID, uh, they were really, you know, the arts was really starting to sort of bubble forward and, you know, make a name for itself on the international scene, like, for example, fashion and the arts. There's a really great Tbilisi art fair, which I went to a few years ago. Brilliant. Um, And one of my favorite things about Tbilisi, the capital, is you can kind of walk through most streets and there'll be an art gallery or there'll be someone like selling paintings that they they do themselves. So it's a really... So it's a really creative spot. It's a very creative spot, yeah. And so if I was to visit for my first time, it's truly some, somewhere that's on my travel bucket list. Can you give me maybe like a couple of, you know, insider recommendations for what I should do? I would recommend spending a few days in Tbilisi. I'd also recommend not going in August because it can be very, very hot. So okay. maybe, you know, May to sort of early July mm-hmm. and September is a nice time. Like too. shoulder season. Yeah, exactly. Um, unless if you do go in August, then go hit the mountains and they can be exquisite or go to the Black Sea mm-hmm. uh, in Batumi. Um but Tbilisi is a definite must and really sort of staying in the old town, doing the sort of traditional baths um, that you can do in the sulfur baths. That's pretty cool. Experiencing the food. Also, every corner has this lavashi uh, bread house, which is basically Ooh. freshly baked bread um, th- that is sort of always available essentially if you catch it sort of first thing in the morning and that's a delicious thing to like you know go home you know put some butter on it and like have your coffee and yeah. you know watch the city waking up yeah oh that sounds gorgeous if it every street corner I imagine that you can like it wafts into the streets as you're walking exactly down. it certainly does oh. and also the other cool thing about Georgia is um you know for those of your guests that have been the hospitality is really amazing so like I've actually just started, um, I'll come back to this point in in a second, but it's all related. I've just picked out baby books for my son in Georgian because I want him to learn Georgian. Mm -hmm. And one of the books is called uh, Masp Inzeli. And it's actually teaching kids the story of how much you have to honor a guest. And it makes sense how, you know, that Georgian hospitality, which is really legendary, you know, one of the sayings we have is a guest is a gift from God. And so they really kind of, you know, Georgians really sort of maximize that statement. So if you do happen to meet a Georgian, you know, it's very likely, I mean, of course, it depends on the circumstances, but it's quite likely that you might get invited to a feast at the house, you know, or or someone else's feast, and you get to experience the whole uh, supra experience, which is obviously copious amounts of drinking, <laughs> but in this very artful form where there are toasts made um, at each sort of drink that is, you know, put to the table. And you have a tamada whose job it is to essentially kind of host that toast making, um, you know, ritual. And it's really wonderful because they, you know, they give thanks to 
nature. They give thanks to all the people that are there, all the people that have gone away. So it kind of becomes like a poetic experience. Oh, it's it really, beautiful. really gorgeous. So it's not re- religious. It's more kind of cultural. No, it's not religious. A exactly. I mean, it, it can be religious depending on how sort of religious the person who's hosting it is. But interestingly enough, during the Soviet times, of course, religion wasn't allowed. Mm. And so um, they would sort of give thanks to the you know, to the Soviet party in Moscow. <laughs> and then as soon as the wall came down, they went back to, you know, giving thanks to God. Mm. Um, but but it kind of it extends sort of beyond that too. It's it's quite beautiful. Oh, how wonderful. What a thing to experience. Yeah. Well, let's pause there and move on to chapter two. And that is the first place that you fell in love with. Um, so I think the first place I fell in love with, I mean, it it is going to have to be Georgia, but there's a few memories that I remember really kind of making me feel so at home and so kind of like just really in touch with the best of life, you know, and that feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's probably swimming in and playing by the rivers uh, near Batumi. Mm-hmm. This is something like we used to do as a family where, so my granddad used to be a chef oh, and nice. he was fantastic at like preparing meat you know, and basically having that as a picnic to go, to go and sit by the river. Um, you know, the whole family would go, we, you know, sometimes our neighbors would come with, you know, it'd be quite a huge thing. And you'd usually find a spot by a little waterfall oh, how and then you basically spend the whole day just kind of swimming in the river, jumping in and out, you know, then the barbecue would be made and you'd, they'd, you know, you'd sit down and, and have your meal and chatter and, and us kids would kind of like run around, um, and yeah, and I just, I just absolutely love that. There's a, re- there's a really great bunch of waterfalls near Batumi, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it was definitely where I first kind of thought, oh, this is just ideal. And obviously, so you lived there until you were eight, and then you moved. Was it to Belfast that you moved to first? Yes. So yeah. how, how did you feel leaving behind that life? I, I know you say so you went back in the summers and stuff, but you know what, what was that like? Well, so Georgia then really became a place for us to go back to in the summertime. Yeah. But of course, leaving was super bittersweet. Um, the reason why it wasn't, you know, I wasn't kind of crying my eyes out when I left was because after the breakdown of the Soviet Union, um, Georgia as a country really fell on its knees, economically speaking. Mm-hmm. So we experienced about two, three years of like no electricity, no hot water, um, school that I went to would be shut down in the winter months because they couldn't heat it so as you can imagine suddenly life just really closed down yeah. you know and people's opportunities just disappeared um you know so dad being a doctor at that you know between 91 and 93 he would have earned more as a taxi driver than than as a doctor because <laughs> yeah. yeah you know everything just sort of collapsed so um, how did he, that affect you like I mean that must be quite a uh, as a, in those formative young years, like, did that has that kind of sat with you until now? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, it affected me in sort of interesting way. So one was, so we lived at that time with my dad's family. Um, so my dad's parents. So it was my mum, my dad, my little brother had just been born, my grandparents, and my uncles, mm-hmm. and they were about fifteen years younger than my dad. So they were they were kind of like my older brothers, right? And it was funny things like. The electricity would go out. Um, obviously, my grandma and my mom would be, you know, very sort of annoyed about that. But then there would be this funny thing when the electricity would come on for like an hour and then suddenly everyone would run to their electronic devices. My uncles would run to their cassette players and mm-hmm. put on Queen and Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you know, my grandma might have then used the electricity to heat up like a bucket of water so she could then like wash the dishes. So it was kind of like you just kind of got sort of busy and uh, distracted by the needs of what it meant to suddenly have electricity for a certain amount of time and then mm. not have it. Mm. I also remember in the evenings, you know, living with candlelight was, as a kid, I, I, fa- I found that quite fun. Like there was a few times where I'd be quite scared, but most of the time it was it was lots of fun and mum would play the piano and like I remember being really deeply moved by music because, and I think it was because I was listening to it in the dark, essentially just by candlelight at the age of six, yeah. seven. So atmospheric in a way. Yeah, it is, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, speaking of falling in love with music, I mean, I was we're in the chapter about falling in love. You know, was it then that you fell in love with music? Because I mean, like, you know, fast forward 
and within a you know a few few years of coming on the scene, you're the the biggest selling female artist in the UK. I mean, it happened. It feels like it happened very quickly. From you know, like t- tell me about that journey. Yeah, I mean, it was super quick. But okay, so if you imagine that's the Georgia we left, yeah, um, and we moved to the UK, and actually my my parents, by the fact that we moved to the UK at at that time, we just thought we've won the lottery. You know, just the fact that I could go to school, it wasn't closing at winter times. You turn the tap on, the water was coming out all the time if you wanted it to. And so we kind of, well, I know my dad sort of madly thought that just because we moved to the UK, there's a good chance that I'd, I'd become a, a singer, you know, a famous singer, um, which is crazy. And of course, you know, when well, just I, because you moved to the UK, just be, yeah, honestly, just because, uh, and because, obviously because you were a good singer. Yeah, you know, I was a good singer. Uh, yeah. You know, in Georgia, I'd had singing lessons. Yeah. You know, I, I had a few concerts, and I'd get my parents to like, you know, give me pocket money and put on a little concert in the living room. Yeah, but yeah, and it was literally that mad thing of well, moving to the UK because you can, you know, at that time you could make, you know, a living from you know becoming a musician and. Um, so it was quite a crazy idea, but the point is that it did encourage him and me to sort of have singing lessons, to go and do sort of singing competitions in Belfast on the weekends, you know, and actually take it quite seriously. And like, I did sort of vocal exercises, like breathing exercises, you know, at least, you know, a few times a week. And I think all of that did really help. But then of course, you know, when I turned 15 and I kind of realize that actually the chance of making it as a musician are, are really, you know, you know, are not, that isn't there for everyone. I sort of created backup plans for myself <laughs> and they were, you know, working in a library, working in a record store, um, being a marine biologist. That was the other thing I kind of fantasized about. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did go to, I was lucky enough to go to the Brit school, uh, which, you know, is a really famous school. And the best thing about it is that it's free which a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. And that was where I met my producer, Mike Bat. Um, and I really loved the songs he had. He had these sort of very kind of traditional sounding songs. Um, and yeah, we made a record and it kind of just blew up. It was incredibly quick. And how, how did you process that? Because I mean, yeah, it's quite a contrast to the days of the you know, electricity dipping in and out, like shooting into, you know, the spotlight. And I imagine being, you know, really put on a pedestal by everyone around you and the glamour and the celebrity aspect like what was that like well it was I mean I've I've always been quite bookish so and I've always been a little bit shy yeah so I kind of I sort of just sort of ignored certain elements was it a bit weird yeah it was a little bit you know this is quite odd I mean of course it was very exciting and you know I wasn't kind of you know I was super happy and just delight I mean my favorite things about the job were going in the studio, bringing songs to life with Mm. incredible musicians, hitting the road, bringing these songs to life on the stage. Um, I mean, I love, you know, I loved sort of essentially working with songs. Um, And the rest of it, I just kind of pretended I didn't need to deal with it. (laughs) You know, like the celebrity side of it and the interviews and... um, but, you know, in because of where I'd come from, I just realized what a lucky and fortunate position I was in. And uh, and I did actually really love all the traveling. You yeah. know, I fell in love with so many of the cities that, you know, we'd visit for promo trips, um, you know, like, I don't know, Berlin, Paris, uh, Cologne, Copenhagen, Holland, you know, Amsterdam. And, um, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. But it was quite – and there did come a time where actually I got a little bit sick from it because I had a burnout in 2010, but mm. but most on the most part it was pretty spectacular. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb and what a great partnership. If you're a long-time listener of The Travel Diaries, you probably know that we love to put our home on Airbnb when we're traveling. Like last autumn when we took the family to Puglia, we put our house on Airbnb when otherwise it would just be sitting empty, which meant that we earned some extra money that went towards our flights and maybe some souvenirs too. Hosting on Airbnb for us is also a family affair. My mum is an Airbnb super host. She regularly has guests stay in her little chalet in her garden. And my dad, who lives in France, has his home on Airbnb so that when he comes back to visit, he is earning some extra money while he's away. My dad is 80 
and he only started hosting on Airbnb a couple of years ago. So hopefully that shows you how straightforward the whole experience is. He found it so easy to list his house that I think he's got all his pals signing up now too. And it really is straightforward. You can choose whether you want to rent out your entire home or just some rooms. Alex and I, for example, list our spare bedroom and that works really well for us. So if you have a trip coming up and you want to earn some extra money while you're away, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. That's airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb. Well, chapter three is the place where you learn the most about yourself. Where would that be? So I reckon it would probably be an experience I had in Devon, which is going um, wild food collecting and seaweed collecting. Ah. And this this is something that happened after I read a book called The Hunter Gather Away by a writer called Fiona Campbell. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, at the end of this book, I mean, she spoke about the way hunter-gatherers used to eat and the relationship that we had with the land. And I just found the book really inspiring. When I was a little kid, I loved playing in the mud and like – you know, and as an adult, I've enjoyed gardening a bit. So it really appealed to me, this idea of foraging for food. Um, and at the end of this book, it said that, you know, you know, get in touch with Fiona because she did these wild food walks. So I did. I got in touch with her um, and I booked in on a wild food collecting trip. Um, and I went, I drove down to Devon to a, a town called East Prawley. Mm-hmm. And we went wild food. Well, we actually went wild food collecting I learned to recognize you know wild garlic for example which is my favorite we also went um collecting seaweed and you have to bring essentially um a little stick that you can sort of wade in the water with uh, no shoes for the actual well obviously have shoes before you get to the beach um and it was just spectacular it was such a kind of inspiring experience we had a really gorgeous sunny day And, um, you know, to be sort of interacting with seaweed, which is, you know, which glistens in the light so beautifully, you know, and how it kind of like is in the water itself. And there's so many great things that you can do with seaweed. And and how do I learn about myself? Well, I just realized how much I love nature, how at peace I feel in nature. And, you know, and and I love, I don't know, I I love the idea of kind of going on an adventure and, and looking for something and you know, and then bringing it back home. Yeah. And then you can have, you can have like, you know, a bath with some of the seaweed. It's really good for your skin. You can put it in your food. You can dry it like spaghetti um, mm. and then use it over the winter months. Well, where are you, where do you live? Where are you based now? So I'm based in London. So I'm then in West London. Is that like anything that you kind of brought in, that brought back from that trip and like in trying to like apply in a kind of a more urban scenario? Well, okay, so there's um, this seaweed called uh, bladderwrack. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's got these little um, sort of jelly pods and uh, th- that's really good for like exfoliating the skin with ah, and putting it in the bath and you can kind of squeeze the pods. Yeah. And they also act as really good sunscreen because <laughs> it kind of – so it, it's fantastic. So obviously living in London, uh, you know, it's super busy. You don't often get a chance to, you know, get out and put your hand in the earth basically yeah but um you know in devon going wild food collecting is is somewhere i can i can do that that sounds very meditative yeah it absolutely is mm. and she's fantastic you know and I, I know there's i think there's a few um people that do it out there but fiona campbell she's really good well speaking of you know self reflection and learning about oneself that's obviously a real theme on your new record um which i thought was just beautiful and really really enjoyed listening to love and money can you tell us a bit about the story behind it yeah i mean um i kind of wanted to make a really blue sky record uh the previous record that i yeah the previous record that i worked on um i'd been through a divorce so i kind of wasn't in a really great place Mm. but while making love and money of course covid happened which meant that I had to stop traveling. I had to sort of stop working in the way that I used to. Yeah. And really, I mean, I'm someone that got quite addicted to my work, as you can imagine. Like, it's so it's so wonderful, like, to make music and, yeah. you know, to have people, like, clapping at you on stage. It's a massive ego trip. Yeah. Um, 
so it sort of took me a while to you know understand that and essentially be happy with where I am with my music and and also feel ready to start a family so what was happening in the background you know as I was working on this record was you know COVID happened so I really had to stop I you know I was isolating with my mum and dad and my brother then in the summertime I met my partner and fell in love and you know I just sort of fell in love with life again and I wanted to put that in the record um you know there's a song called golden record which is about essentially sort of accepting the fact that I was ready to have kids to start a family yeah and to be less sort of critical of like you know monogamy which I which I was at a time it it feels almost like a rebirth in terms of like the some of the the sentiment like you know like you said you've kind of gone you're into a new phase of your life yeah I mean it's uh yeah it's a really wonderful way of putting it thank you um yeah I just wanted it to feel happy and to feel you know sometimes like in fact we were talking about rivers earlier in Georgia right there's a song called lie in the heat and and I'm trying to capture what it's like to have a day by the river you know just being there in nature watching that light you know listening to the water you know and and it's interesting for me like how music can capture the places that we fall in love with completely and the people that we fall in love with yeah um so yeah you know I really try and do that try to sort of get those experiences into the songs themselves. Uh, uh, has travel like specifically inspired any of the songs on the record? Well, Line the Heat definitely yeah. has. Yeah. Um, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. So when people are listening to that, they can picture now what you were describing earlier. Exactly. Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, in a way, Golden Record talks about, you know, just how much I've I've had to sort of travel and letting go of that kind of the mad treadmill of the music industry and also actually first date is a song which is my first date with my partner you know it depicts that and and I don't mention seaweed in the song but we actually happened to we went seaweed collecting on our first date it was a really fun way of getting to know each other yeah oh that's an important part as well of that chapter then as well because seaweed is is especially important to you yeah what an unusual first date (laughs) I know it was pretty fun um we did that actually in Margate so if anyone I've never been to Margate but it's also like got a great art scene hasn't it it does yeah, yeah. I have a friend who lives nearby in Herne Bay mm-hmm. and she's always raving about Margate um and actually you know a lot of that sort of you know the Kent coast is quite beautiful we mm. recently went to Deal mm-hmm. which is just you know and Broadstairs that's another place that's quite beautiful the beach is exquisite yeah and like that's such a kind of historic English seaside holiday destination yes you know what, as a non-Brit, um, I do find the seaside in England is such a, there's something so kind of beautiful and perfect about it. And and I, I find that the seaside is very English, you know, mm. it's kind of, you know, you really see the kind of, I don't know, that that sort of sea wanderlusty characters and, and it's quite fabulous. Yeah. And of course, fish and chips is just the best. Well, chapter four is the big one. Your all-time favorite destination, Katie, where comes to mind? Well, uh, again, it has to be Georgia, but this time it's Mount Kazbeki, which is where I went a couple of summers ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the incredible mountain regions in in Georgia. It's part of the Caucasian mountain regions. And I was there and we actually trekked sort of up to one of the glaciers. And it wow. was incredible there's I don't know it's just such an inspiring place I mean it's you know to be able to do that in the summertime through these gigantic mountains is just extraordinary and also Georgia has quite early Christian um, history Mm -hmm. so I think it was one of the first three countries to become Christian Um, and so there are these little churches dotted around you know these mountain regions and it's quite extraordinary to see this we didn't actually go into any of the churches but just you know visiting as you're, one of the as you're walking through and you can see them in the distance yeah you can see on the them mountains. exactly yes you know and also it's incredible to see you know how the clouds kind of come and go um it is remarkable I think I don't think I've ever felt more inspired in a place you know and there's something about the air it's so crisp and kind of mm. clear and and quite majestic also um on that trail, on that Kazbeki trail, there was a few like mount, um, sort of skiing chalets. Mm-hmm. 
or they see, I mean, I don't know if they're, they're, maybe they're not chalets. They are, you know, they're sort of little stops where I think people who are trekking. Like up lodges. To the, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, we went into a couple of those and one of them had this really wonderful library where you could kind of just sit, you know, on beanbags and like pick out some books. And, you know, there's sort of a, a basic restaurant there and you can eat and you sort of eat outside on their balcony and then you sort of look back where you've walked from and you think, my God, you know, you, you end up walking the entire day to get to this glacier. Yeah. And it's, um, it's pretty astonishing. So is that where you would stay? Like how long would it take you to do the walk? Well, we did, we did a few days, um, but on, it just took us one day to do that walk actually. Yeah. Um, how long would I stay? I guess, I mean, I could definitely stay like 10 days there. Really? And do you stay in these lodges or like what kind of accommodation can you stay? No, I think, no, I think you'd have to stay in like little sort of bnbs and hotels that sort of dotted along the way right um but these lodges i don't think they have sleeping accommodation so there are little stops that you can stop exactly exactly great and how would you get there from tbilisi oh okay so it's a it's about a three-hour drive from tbilisi okay so it's doable Um, if you were to go go there maybe experience some of the the city and then have some time in the mountains exactly there's a um because of the art scene in georgian because of sort of the kind of the, very, the big sort of creativity that exists in Georgia, there's this, there's this one hotel chain, which, you know, and I wouldn't normally mention hotels, but they've done a really good job of bringing together like the Georgian artistry mm-hmm. with, you know, essentially a, a hotel space. And so there's, there is one of those in Kazbeki, but that's in the, in the sort of the lower area. Um, so, you, you know, you then need to drive maybe 20 minutes to the start of the trail and then you do like a nine hour or an eight hour hike. And will you say what the, the hotel is called? Um, it's called Rooms Hotel. Oh, Rooms Hotel. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Maybe um, maybe some of your other guests have mentioned it too. But they've got one in Tbilisi, but the one in Kazbeki actually overlooks the mountain. Oh, wow. And it's so it's quite an amazing beautiful. outlook. Yeah. Oh, that sounds absolutely gorgeous. And you have performed in some very unusual locations. One that really stood out to me was, you know, one where you set a Guinness World Record. Tell me about that, because <laughs> that I thought sounded so exciting and, and yeah, unusual. It, absolutely, I mean, it definitely spoke to my kind of spirit of adventure. Yeah, um, yes. Yeah, so I think we were just about to release a second album with Nine Million Bicycles on it, and my management had a phone call to see if I'd be interested in doing a concert at the bottom of the ocean, off the coast of Norway. Um, I mean, it's a, such a, uh, an unusual conversation. You're it like, is, isn't it? Sorry, what? <laughs> I know. Well, I think they knew I was kind of up for, you know, doing interesting, crazy things. Yeah. And uh, and I, I said, yes. I was like, well, what does it entail? And they were like, well, you need to be able to, you need to train to um, survive a helicopter crash because those could be quite frequent um, oh, because I think the North Sea can be quite dangerous. And it's about a half an hour helicopter ride. Wow. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, what does that entail? And they're like, well, you have this sort of helicopter that's lowered into a swimming pool and you have to get out of the windows, you know, break the windows and get out. And I was like, okay, well, you know, as long as there's someone there guiding me through it, then I think I can do it. And, uh, and I did it. It was astonishing. So we had the training. We then also had to train, um, to sort of escape from the gas rig on one of their lifeboats, which looks more like a submarine because it's fully covered and it gets dropped from the top of the gas rig <sighs> into the ocean. And that's about a 30 meter drop. Whoa. So, so that was pretty intense. Um, so once all the training was done, you know, we got the helicopter to the gas rig, took the lift down to the bottom of the, the gas, one of the legs. Um, and that was about a 10 minute lift ride <gasps> because they can't go quickly. They have to go very slowly. Well, your, and then do once, your ears have to like adjust to being that? Does, no, does it work that way? I don't think so because, well, maybe that's why you have to go down quite slowly. Mm. Um, but uh, essentially, you know, then it's pressurized down there. It's kind of like, it's like being in any massive sort of skyscraper building. Yeah. Um, but it was circular and, um, and this, you know, the echo, the natural reverb was pretty good for singing. And so, yeah, great acoustic down yeah. there. Shave, shave it wasn't like glass walls and you were like kind of... In- I know. I mean, that was that would have been the dream to have seen, you know, sea creatures outside. But no, it was essentially just a, you know, a big building. And it was huge though. You know, you looked upstairs, you looked up and you just couldn't see the end of it. That's so, it's so much fun. Have you, have you, what other destinations that you performed in like really stand out? Like, 
Well, there is something about the Norwegians. They always get me to do some wild stuff. Yeah. So a few years after, I performed at a um, at the bottom of a mine. And this was now, they were mining. It's a material that they use to turn things white. I can't remember the name of it, mm-hmm. but it was astonishing because we had to, you know, we got to the site and then you look down and there was this massive whole crater in the earth. You know, and of course now you sort of think, I think about that and, um, you know, I think, God, you know, we do so much awful things to to our planet. But at the time, I mean, this would have been 2007 or 8, I think. And we took a an hour-long car journey to get down to the bottom of this mine. And then there were these sort of tractors and diggers where their wheels looked like the size of houses. It was quite astonishing. Uh. And then, yeah. and then, who who were you performing to? Down, the miners? Oh uh, no, not the miners on that. Okay, no, there was. I think it was a festival. They put on a festival. Oh my god! In the summertime, yeah, and there was you know a few thousand people there. Um, <laughs> you know, a crowd of people at the bottom of this mine. That's and then crazy. you have yeah, you have these diggers kind of as sort of decoration around, dotted around uh, the stage. <laughs> Wow, I didn't expect you to to say say that as as your other unusual performance vacation. <laughs> That's so interesting. Well, chapter five, Katie, is your hidden gem. That's a place that you love that maybe my listeners wouldn't know too much about. I mean, you've shared so many places that I think could qualify as perfect hidden gems. But mm. what did you have in mind today? Well, I'm curious if anyone, any one of your guests, have mentioned the Isle of Scilly. I was say, I do, uh, oh, I think. Way back when, right at the beginning of the podcast, Rick Stein, the chef, his earliest childhood memory, I think, was to the Isles of Scilly. But yes, please bring it to life because it looks so beautiful. Oh my God, it's exquisite. Like the Caribbean. Caribbean, yeah. Yeah. And the water is so still and and just the color is exquisite. So these are islands that are off the coast of Cornwall, mm. right on the very, very sort of bottom end. And you can either get a flight there or you can get a ferry, but the ferry can take about three hours. But it's extraordinary. There's a place called Tresco, mm-hmm. which I think is actually a private island, but obviously, you know, you can stay there. There are, you know, there is, you know, one sort of plate, well, one, um, uh, sort of hotel type lodges that you can stay in Mm -hmm. and it has this botanical gardens which is extraordinary so the actual plantation and you know and the the foliage there on the islands is extraordinary but it is you know if if it's a sunny day you could easily be in the Caribbean and the last time I went we basically had like the whole beach to ourselves there's like white white sand quiet waters Mm. you can go for a swim Waters are a little bit cold, but that's because I'm used to like warm, almost Mediterranean temperatures. But it is—it's extraordinary, and they're quite—they're quite not very inhabited, are they? They're, they're, there's a small population, so they feel like quite untouched. They feel very untouched, and also actually the main island feels so like you could be in the 50s or the 60s. Mm. Um, and you're right; there's there's not a huge population there. It's it is just beautiful. So. While you're there, what is it that you love to do the most? I guess I love walking um, around the botanical gardens, love walking the beaches, um, just exploring the islands. You know, the the landscape is just extraordinary. How do you, so how would you then, do you take little ferries between the different yeah, islands? Yeah, there's little boats. There's boats? little boats that you can take between the islands. Oh. Um, and, you know, there are also like certain areas with the sand dunes where you can actually walk sort of, you know, between one island to another. You can go canoeing. There, there's amazing marine life there as well, from what I understand. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't, I don't know if you can go. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. We saw um, a walrus, actually. No way. Um, yeah, we did. It, it sort of, I guess it must have gotten lost, but it ended up on the Isle of Scilly a couple <laughs> of years ago. Wow. <laughs> on the land was, or in the water? No, it was on a boat, on a little boat that was kind of, you know, by the, by where we were going canoeing it was just and just chilling there just chilling there asleep yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and I mean obviously you mentioned how through your career you have toured extensively um you know the world several times over and you know I've spoken to musicians in the past who've said that you know you see a lot of places through kind of tour bus windows and you're, yes. you're kind of there but you, you you don't really get a chance to get under that destination skin before you're then on to the next place exactly yeah that's like the tragedy of 
being a, a mu- musical artist, um, yeah, you know, you get to go everywhere, but you know, also the days are filled with work. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You're so not on holiday. Time, yeah. No, no, not at all. So, with that in mind, um, it, was it was there maybe a particular place that you kind of got a taste of? through 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 your work that has been on your in your stuck in your mind that you really want to get back to to really I, go on holiday there I'd probably say Norway yeah um I love you know I loved the light in Norway there was this one time when um there was a strike in the airports and so instead of flying um from Oslo to Bergen we had to get the train and this train journey um so you know Bergen is quite up, up at yeah. the northern tip of of Norway um, was exquisite because it was in January and you'd sort of go through these mountains and then you'd come out and then through the train window, you'd see sort of this frozen forest Uh. and then you'd go into another tunnel and then you'd come out and you'd see, you might see someone in the distance fishing. Oh, magical. It was just so magical. So yeah, I I really sort of developed a soft spot for Norway, but I, I would absolutely love to go. And kind of just explore it in in more deep in more depth. Exactly, wider. and also there's the sort of northern towns. They'd have these beautiful kind of red wooden houses. Yeah, you know, I never really saw any of the fjords, but the light there was also super exquisite and just extraordinary. Inspiring for a singer-songwriter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I could imagine that. Well, in complete contrast, chapter six, our penultimate chapter, is your worst travel experience. My worst travel experience. Or the place that you'd never go back to. It's kind of one or the other. Oh, no. Okay, well, I do have one, but I'm definitely going to be going back there because it is actually Georgia. I mean, I've been bigging up loads on this podcast. but um, And it's Georgia because last summer when I was pregnant – after I did my summer festivals, I was dead keen to go to, you know, spend a couple of weeks in Georgia, maybe swimming in the Black Sea. Um, but of course, with, you know, what's been happening in Russia, there's been a lot of Russians that have gone to Batumi. So actually, the beaches were so full. Um, um, I didn't get a chance to swim in the ocean at all. My cousin that I was there with, she, poor thing, got some kind of a, a virus, a food virus. Uh. And then I got COVID while being pregnant. Oh, no. So it was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> a disaster. Um, total disaster. We had to, so we only ended up spending two days in by the Black Sea in Batumi. We ended up having to drive back to Tbilisi, which, you know, is a six-hour drive. Um, and when you're, like, heavily pregnant as well. Heavily pregnant that's not with ideal. COVID. Super hot in the middle of August. We're all masked up. You know, I think both all of us were wearing two masks. Uh. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty horrible <laughs> but I will definitely go back because it's you know it's my home country well before we come on to your final uh, chapter Katie um, which is a destination that's at the top of your bucket list do you have a bucket list destination to play a gig is there somewhere that you've always eyed up that you'd love to perform oh um well, I guess my bucket list destination where I'd like to go on holiday uh is probably the same as where I'd love to play a gig oh nice and I'll tell you why um it all starts with one of my favorite albums of all time called Ellis and Tom which is a duet album between Ellis Regina and Thomas Jobim and they're both Brazilian icons so she was a phenomenal singer I mean her her sort of expressiveness in her singing is just so iconic and um, Thomas Jobim, super famous songwriter, he actually wrote a lot of songs for Frank Sinatra. Wow. He wrote the song Girl from Ipanema. Oh, wow. And, and so this album is just perfect. And in fact, if it's super grey in London, I put this record on and I feel like I'm on holiday. Like it has that atmosphere. And so my destination, you know, on the bucket list would be Brazil. Mm. I've never been to Brazil. Mm-hmm. I'd love to go. I know it's humongous. But, you know, to visit the Amazon rainforest, to, you know, I think they've got the second longest rivers in the world, you know, to go along the river, you know, to see the river in Brazil and maybe to visit, you know, where Ellis lived uh, would be quite extraordinary. A kind of musical pilgrimage. Exactly. Yes. And such a vibrant music scene in general. It is. I know. And also there's the carnival. So it'd be incredible to see the carnival too. Oh, an adventure to come, I hope. Exactly. I hope so too. Oh, thank you so much. Katie Mellie, those were your travel diaries. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having me. 
That was the delightful Katie Melua. Really enjoyed chatting to Katie. Now, when can I fit in a trip to Georgia? That is a destination that I am so excited to discover one day. Katie's ninth studio album, Love and Money, is out now and she heads out on a UK and EU tour in April and May. Thanks so much for listening today. If you'd like to hear more from the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to press follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. If you want to be the first to find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. I'm at Holly Rubenstein and you'll also find me on Twitter and TikTok as of a few weeks ago, also at Holly Rubenstein. And if you can't wait until then, remember there's the first eight seasons to catch up on. That's over 90 episodes to keep you busy there. All the destinations mentioned by my guests are included in the episode show notes here on your podcast app and listed on my website, thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Thanks everyone, and I'll be back next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb and what a great partnership. If you're a longtime listener of The Travel Diaries, you probably know that we love to put our home on Airbnb when we're traveling. Like last autumn when we took the family to Puglia, we put our house on Airbnb when otherwise it would just be sitting empty, which meant that we earned some extra money that went towards our flights and maybe some souvenirs too. Hosting on Airbnb for us is also a family affair. My mum is an Airbnb super host. She regularly has guests stay in her little chalet in her garden. And my dad, who lives in France, has his home on Airbnb so that when he comes back to visit, he is earning some extra money while he's away. My dad is 80 and he only started hosting on Airbnb a couple of years ago. So hopefully that shows you how straightforward the whole experience is. He found it so easy to list his house that I think he's got all his pals signing up now too. And it really is straightforward. You can choose whether you want to rent out your entire home or just some rooms. Alex and I, for example, list our spare bedroom and that works really well for us. So if you have a trip coming up and you want to earn some extra money while you're away, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. That's airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.